left off last week in this wonderful series. I hope that it has been stirring up a hunger in you, uh, this series that we've called Pursuing Life in the Holy Spirit. And I'd like you to open up your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And uh, I want to remind you that this is something that God has put on our hearts as a church that 2019 would be a year where he leads us into a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about what it means to come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit as a Christian. It's really important. We have a leader, a helper, that is interested in the most detailed aspects of our lives. And to be a Christian is to know the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it's my joy this morning to read a scripture which some of us might know well, um, but whether you know it well or not, I, I hope it would grip us till the day we go to be with Jesus. And it's this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And it's Paul speaking here. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife even jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions, envy and drunkenness and orgies, and these and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I want to help us just understand where we are. We started off in part one of the series of understanding that this Holy Spirit is a person. And so he speaks to us. He leads us. He's not a feeling or an it, although he can lead through a feeling. It is something that he does personally in our lives. And the second is, we looked at, he loves to do work in us. He's an active aspect of the Godhead. This, this God three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working all the time to move God's plan forward, the Father's plans forward in his people and through his people. And then we saw that the greatest work in the individual that can happen is when the Holy Spirit enables salvation. In other words, you cannot be a Christian without the working of the Spirit because by nature, we have got no capacity to really long for God. Don't you think it's amazing? Isaiah said, no one seeks after God, not even one. It's because of sin in us, we are naturally designed and orientated towards ourselves. And the work of the Spirit enables this glorious salvation. And then this work of the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave us in our new birth. He empowers us. And we've been talked about these outpourings or baptisms of the Spirit. They are experiential. And if you read your New Testament, you will see that there was a marked change between these believers. And they were young. The, the, the average uh, experience of the Spirit was quite soon after salvation. Conversion, what I mean by this conversion, is that these guys, as Ratif said, he preached my first point of the sermon, so he saved me a bit of time. But you know me, I'm not promising anything. But anyway, so is that there is this power that comes upon the believer to witness. Ah, but there's also this work of the Holy Spirit that Pierre picked up last week where he leads us into holiness. Now, holiness is, or the word is sanctification. It's a big word with a simple meaning. It means he helps us degree by degree to look more and more like Jesus. Now, Pierre preached a, a very important sermon where he preached on 
principles and truths that we have to grasp in this sanctifying work of the Spirit. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to listen to it. You also preached on practices which assist in us becoming more and more like Jesus that are essential. But today I want to get, make it a little bit more personal. I want to talk about what does it feel like? What do we face in ourselves as human beings, as Christians in this body when we are wanting to come under the leadership of the Spirit? What are you going to face and what are you going to feel? Because really, when we talk about this pursuing life in the Holy Spirit, we're not just talking about the exciting ministry of life of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the ordinary, everyday relationships that you're going to encounter when you leave this room and where you work, live, and play. As a parent, I am realizing walking by the Spirit is the most important thing to my children. As a husband, I am realizing that it is the most important thing to my wife. As a colleague, I realize it's the most important thing I bring to my teammates is Matt Johnson coming under the leadership of the Spirit. And I hope I can persuade you it is the same for you. And where I want to start is the risk in a church that believes in these baptisms of the Holy Spirit is that it can be misunderstood that until this outpouring of the Spirit happens in your life, you really can't do anything much for God. That's the risk. Is in a sense, you're left, if you haven't quite experienced this promise of the Spirit yet, is you're left with a sense of, well, I can't really do anything much because they're making so much of this outpouring of the Spirit. I haven't got it, so clearly God can't do much with my life. Can I say, that is a lie of the enemy. What I mean by the leadership of the Holy Spirit is the second you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you are born again, you have come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. By nature of your conversion, you have the Holy Spirit. And my friend, the second you are born again and are called a Christian, you have this powerful leading of the Holy Spirit that is leading you into a holy life. And you don't have to wait for this experience to start living for God. My friend, the second you have God... Christ working in your heart and resurrecting you to newness of life. It's called being born again. You are under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you are to get going in the things of God. You know, sometimes I take a lot of time to look at the Old Testament because when we read it as Christians, we don't really understand it. But don't you think it's interesting? The second those Israelites trapped in Egypt hid under the blood, God commanded them, you make unleavened bread, which means it takes a few seconds to cook on the bra. You put your cloak on with your staff because when judgment passes over you and then you get set free by the blood, you have to leave immediately. And it's called the feast of the unleavened bread because the second you're delivered from the power of sin through the blood of the lamb, you have to start moving with God. And friends, that is the work of the Spirit in your life. You don't have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to start living a godly, holy life. You are under the leadership of the Holy Spirit because that's how you got saved. The mark of a Christian is one who has responded in faith to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And it happens like this. Retif was dead in his sin and trespasses. The Holy Spirit came and shone upon his sin. It's called conviction. Then shone upon Jesus. It's called there is faith and repentance. And he started to follow the lead of the Spirit and said, yes, I'm going to do it. He got saved that way. You got saved by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and so it must continue in your life. And may I say to you today, that is the first risk of thinking that these baptisms of the Holy Spirit excuse passivity and indolence, that old English word. No, no, my friend, you are under the leadership of the Holy Spirit by the nature of your new birth, and we are to get going in it. Praise God. Nobody here must feel absent in the midst of God's purpose in their lives because they haven't quite felt that, oh, we're not quite understanding the experience that you're talking about. You have to get going. But the second danger is this. The second danger is this. Is that when we talk about the baptisms or outpourings of the Holy Spirit is you think it's going to fix everything in your life. We talk about this wonderful infilling of the Holy Spirit that I might just remind you Jesus Christ had. And we think... We think it's going to solve our struggle against sin. Might I say to you today, if you come hungry on Wednesday night and God decides that's the time I'm going to answer this promise of this infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, I will tell you now, when you come off the mountain, don't you remember that wonderful story about Peter, James, and John, where they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and the, the cloud of glory comes down, and they see this almost shining glory of Jesus, and Peter says, it's so good that we're here. But they can't stay there, not so. 
They have to come down the mountain. The first thing they experience is Jesus starts talking about at that moment that he must be crucified. I tell you, it was the thing that they hated the most to hear about. In fact, Peter, just before that, is starting to rebuke Jesus because he doesn't like it. It's when you find that these baptisms of glory, it can be gentle, it can be dramatic, it doesn't matter, but you'll know it's happened to you. You will find that when you come down from this heavenly sense of being so close to God, you will face your family where your children are driving you crazy. You will face your wife or your husband who are fallen and then struggling to, with their fallen nature just as much as you. You will face the greatest fight of your life. Now, why am I emphasizing this? It's because God can break his rule. This morning, Tracy Prince, was, uh, that's not her surname, Joey Prince's mom, Tracy shared how she was delivered from alcoholism a couple of weeks ago through this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then she felt to share her struggle against nicotine. She shared this morning at the age of how it took her three years to come to the conviction of the Spirit about it, and then she had to fight for her life to be delivered from this nicotine addiction. It was a very different experience to this experience of being simply delivered by the nature of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say the second thing that she shared about her struggle, and God came through powerfully in the end. He, he helped deliver her from this nicotine addiction. That struggle is the struggle you and I are in. Is that this Holy Spirit does not automatically produce holiness in us by these baptisms. It might feel that way, and John Wesley felt that way. He taught a doctrine, the founder of the Methodist Church, of perfectionism. You feel so incredibly close to God in these moments of outpouring, you think, I'm never going to sin again. Oh, well, just give it some time. Don't you think it's fascinating? Don't you think it's fascinating? Yeah, I'm laughing too. Don't you think it's fascinating that the Son of God, who could be holy without that baptism, he was sinless. He had the leadership of the Spirit before his, this Spirit coming down on him as a dove, could still sweat blood in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He still had to wrestle and say, not your will but mine. No, that's wrong. <laughs> not my will but yours. Is that Jesus even being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Luke 4, and how the Spirit remained on him. It never left him because he was so at home in Christ. Experienced the struggle against the flesh. And I hope you're encouraged this morning. No matter how spiritual you might think you are, my friend, the fight of faith is to resist this thing called the flesh. And I want to point out to you on Wednesday now, what we are after, please do not misunderstand the eldership of this church. We are not after an emotional fix. God forbid, is in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this outpouring of the spirits. I'm just going to, sorry, Retief, I've got to cover this ground again because it's so strong in me. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? So that you will be my witnesses. This whole outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's about Jesus. Can I be honest before you today? The thing I long for more in my life is greater boldness, don't you? Let me tell you, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, I am timid by nature. And I long to be like Peter, who experienced this outpouring where I'm not ashamed of the gospel, like Paul says. Because of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what it does is it fills you so much with the love of God, Romans 5, 5, that you are unashamed. You don't care what people think about you because you know what God thinks about you. It leads to such boldness. And my friends, what's at stake here about our church being filled with the Spirit is not our feelings of all emotions and all these sort of nice highs. No, no. What's at stake is the glory of Jesus. We want a church that is full of people that are powerful in their witness. They're not ashamed to say Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. I found him. Do you know him? And I want to tell you, when the Spirit is at work, we are not ashamed of the gospel because we know the power of God to resurrect even the hardest sinner to eternal life because we are living it. We are sensing it. And friends, stuff does stay after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it does fade. And if you're going to think that life is going to be easy, I want to tell you, Paul, in this Galatians 5, tells you what it means to be a human being and a Christian. Is you are in the struggle that led Christ to sweat blood. Don't think that this is just going to be an easy ride. My friends, today we must reconcile in our hearts that this being crucified with Christ will lead us to the same place that at the cross where Jesus had to, reap, had to sweat blood about the decision to follow God, we will have the same in our life. And I want to say to you today, this thing about 
being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a longing to please God. But I must move on. Can I say to you, when Paul says these words, they have been such an encouragement to me this week. I want to tell you, your pastors, your elders have got lots of problems personally too. I might be bold in this pulpit, but I tell you, I am facing challenges just like you. Questions about my faith, of how does this play? You know, when, when Karen was talking about this basket and being rescued, there are times where in my flesh I long for rescue. But what Paul explains here is my experience, and I want to bring you comfort, courage, and encouragement this morning in your pursuit of being led by the Holy Spirit. Is the very first thing Paul says is that we have to walk. Walk by the Spirit. That word walk has meant so much to me these last few days. Because firstly, it means that wherever you go, you have to walk there, right? If you want to get it, you have to walk to your car. You have to get out and walk to work. You have to, in every aspect of your life, you have to walk to get there, not so? And what I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Matthew, don't make it so complicated that we, we think of, oh, my quiet time, and oh, the Sunday service, and oh, the worship, and oh, my cell group. No, no, the Holy Spirit is interested wherever we walk. I love that saying, as we walk through life. That is how the Holy Spirit is. He is interested where your feet go. Matters to Him. The second thing about this thing of walking is, is something that we must do. I don't want to preach too much on this because Pierre covered it last week, but I want to remind you, friends, if you are going to walk by the Holy Spirit, it is an act of the will. God is not going to overcome you. You can pray, God, give me patience. The way he's going to do it is he's going to make you face your flesh. And so when we think about walking in the Spirit, far be it from us to take the armchair of lazy boys saying, no, no, although the, the God is at work within you, you have to co-labor with Him. You have to walk with Him. And what I love about this word walk means it says it's going to take a long time. How many of you love to walk here? I love to walk. I'm a runner too. My running time, I can do 10 Ks. Oh, that doesn't matter. Five and a half minutes a K, that's my time. I can run 5Ks in less than 30 minutes. But when I've got to walk it with my little girl, who is three, and you've got to winsomely try and get her to the end of 5Ks, let me tell you, it takes more than an hour. And I was so grateful because it was like saying, don't worry, this is going to take a long time. You're going to trip and fall and you're going to make mistakes, but don't worry, God is not intimidated by weakness. He can work with it, Amen is that we can walk. And you know what I love about walking? It's so ordinary. There's nothing. He's not saying gymnastics or you're not, you're not skipping. You're not even running. You're not sprinting. The thing I love about the Spirit is He loves to work in the ordinary. Can I tell you the danger of people overemphasizing the Holy Spirit is they create a space where everything is so super spiritual, you think you almost have to fly in the Spirit, not walk. Can I tell you right now, facing up to your flesh and responding to the Spirit comes through the most ordinary, mundane, difficult things in your life. And the wonderful thing about this is, the wonderful thing about this is walking is plodding. You have to be persistent, not so. There is something determined about walking. Where you're going to get there, but you're going to be persistent. And can I say to you today, what Paul describes here, it, has, it, it must release you. It must take away the sense of insecurity of struggle in the Christian faith. The fact that you struggle is a sign that you are saved, my friend. The fact that you experience this tension, this warfare that, that Paul talks about in trying to live a holy life, it is a sign that the Spirit is at work in you. Why do I say that? Because don't you notice in this incredibly short Two verses, Paul unpacks what it means to be human and Christian. He says, on the one hand, you have this powerful flesh pulling you in one direction, and we all know what that's like. It's eating four courses instead of three. It's enjoying money more than what we should do. It turns to greed. It's these amazing, I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But you've got this flesh pulling on you, and, and you don't like it as a Christian. 
but it's there. It's this drag on you. And then you've got this other side. Is the Holy Spirit, and He's pulling you. I hope you know what I'm talking about here. If not, please let me come and help you after the service. And I'm being deadly earnest. This is what it likes to be a Christian. If this is not in your life, I want to push a little bit and say, do you know Jesus? Because by the working of the Spirit, the second of your salvation, you are under the leadership of the Spirit. And let me tell you now, the Spirit has powerful desires. That Greek word for desire means to set your heart upon. And Paul says in Galatians 5.17, both are pulling so that you're in the middle. And as, as the believer, you are under this pressure of which you're going to give into. Now, can I start off by explaining what it means to be under the pressure or desire of the flesh? It's very important that whenever you read this word flesh in this context, it's a bit tricky because there's two different kinds of words, and I think if you have a good translation, they transla translate the Greek carefully. There is a Greek word called soma, which means body. So if you talk to Retif, psychosomatic would mean this relationship between mind and body. Not so? Is that right? There we go. It's a challenge for doctors. It's a challenge for psychiatrists. It's a challenge for psychologists. But we're not talking about soma. We're not talking about our physical bodies here. We're talking about socks that's the greek word which is flesh and and paul always uses that word theologically what that means is he's not talking about your body he's talking about your fallen sinful nature it is what we inherit because of our sin and it's like an engine room in you this fallen nature is an engine room and before christ it was unfettered unhindered the only thing that that had a rain on it was common grace and, Threats of the jail cell, the chucky. Someone said the other day, I thought it was such a cool word. The, a law, standing before the a law courts or the physical, there's that you are under the restraint of society, but you're not under the restraint of, of, of special grace, of this Holy Spirit. Before you're saved, the flesh is left to itself in a sense. Oh, but when the Spirit comes, there's a collision course with this fallen nature. And because we might be born again by the Spirit, but we are still in this, this fallen flesh, Although we're not talking about this body, this soma, we are talking about the influence upon it, the fallen nature. Now, it's very important because to understand this, in church history, people have thought, well, you'd be a real good Christian if you put a lot of pain on your body. Let me tell you now, if you beat your body like those monks did 500 years ago, you're going to find yourself in trouble because the problem is not this body. The problem is the inner motivations and attitudes of the sinful nature. So what I mean by that, if you don't rest and shepherd your body well, you're going to struggle to be a holy person. This, this flesh, this body is not the enemy. It's what is inside, this fallen nature that is. And so if you don't take care of yourself in terms of your body, eat well, exercise, have good rest, have good balance, have good rhythms of grace, you will find yourself in a vessel that is absolutely depleted. And all of you, I'm looking at some of you here, you all know what I'm talking about. I tell you what. We must not be like Plato that said, if it's body, it's bad. No, no. Paul is saying what we're really fighting is this fallen nature inside of this drive in us because of sin. And it expresses itself in three ways. What you are going to confront, I'm trying to paint here an experience of if you're going to be under the leadership of the Spirit, what does it feel like? Is there going to be three things you're going to face because of the flesh? The first is this, is this inherent self-centeredness of our personality. Do you know how that plays out? Is I want it my way. That's how it plays. You know if that Frank Sinatra song? I can do it here. I can't do it the six. I did it my way. That's the anthem of the flesh. No one could have captured it better. Is that when somebody tells you what to do, there is rebellion. Why? What rears its head is, I don't want to do that. The second thing that flesh produces, by the way, we call that ego. The second thing that, that comes, it is our oh, pleasures. Oh, we know this so well. Is the sensual aspect of our nature. What we see, what we taste, what we touch, what we hear, what we feel. And these appetites rear their head. And remember, there's nothing wrong with pleasure in this world. Let me tell you, if you're married, you are, you are totally entitled to enjoy intimacy with your partner. If you are, enjoy good food and you eat healthy, there's nothing wrong with having a good relationship with pleasure in this life. The problem is when those pleasures become uncontrolled and they become the pursuits of your life, then there's an issue. And what you find is, don't we, don't we experience this? Oh. Maureen and I have a wonderful sweet, sweet tooth. 
we will, we will choose our mains based on what the dessert is on the menu. And often, and you know what it's like, you've had enough to eat, but you don't want to miss out. And you're going to have another course of mom's supper or dessert or whatever it is, and eating turns to gluttony. Let me tell you, money is very helpful in this life. We all need some. We all need some, even though staying with your parents at home. <laughs> you can't stay there forever. They wouldn't want you to anyway. You're expensive. But the reality is, is that the amazing thing is this money can turn to greed. That's what drives Western society. You want to know why we work so hard and so much? It's because we have this elusive feeling of if we just get that much more, we'll be happy. Westerners think that we're so rational. Let me tell you, we are so driven by our appetites. And the last, I'll give you another example, is sex. Man, it is so natural to want to have sexual release. But the problem is we seek it outside of the bounds of it, outside of marriage. And so what we do is we look for sexual gratification in ways that are not permitted by God. Ah, these sexual pleasures, these worldly pleasures, you know them all. But the third, and I really want to get this across, and I'm asking for grace now, Lord, to help me, is the third way the flesh rears its head is through unbelief. Why do I say that? What do I mean by unbelief? I, I mean this. It is that you only want to think logically. You only want to think logically. Now, just stay with me for a moment because you'll understand what I mean when I unpack it. We are all by nature self-centered. And what we tend to do is we tend to reason at the level of nature, of our natural fallen self. We love to use logic. So, so please, I don't mean pick, pick on, this, on the sex thing, but it's just so easy because it's so common. <laughs> is that you will do it like this. You're operating at the level of logic by nature is you'll go, well, I love this girl. We're committed. We uh, might get married. In actual fact, often... They might come to me and say, we want to get married. And because we love each other, the most natural expression of our love is to express each other physically. We, we want to do it. It gets awakened in us when we're close and we hold each other and we cuddle. We do all these lovely things. And it feels so good. Why wouldn't God want us to do that? I'll use another one. Somebody offends you. How do we justify our response? We do it like this. We operate with logic according to the flesh. We have been wronged. They are wrong. We are right, which means we need to tell them that they're wrong, not so. And because they've got something wrong, they deserve to be punished for it. And so I'm going to help God along in punishing them for what they've done to me. It's logic. It's the most natural thing in the world. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Can I use another example? You know what? Forgiveness is so difficult. It's because it is letting a person off the hook that you believe should be punished for what they have done to you. Logic, logic, let me tell you now, you might not like it, but it is the reality for the Christian. Faith is not logical. It's not logical. Why do I say that? If you really want to boil down why you should not have sex before marriage, it is because God has said so. If you really want to know why you should forgive another person, you might look at all the benefits. So let me tell you now, the flesh does not look at benefits to try and be persuaded. The flesh looks at what is naturally logical to it. No, no, you forgive because Christ has forgiven you. Why would he do that? I don't know. Would his flesh want to do that? No, but he's done it. Can I tell you, isn't it wonderful that this walking by the Spirit is also called walking by faith and not by don't you think that's fascinating? It's just another way of talking, walking by the Spirit. What you are doing is God, by the Spirit, is helping you apply His Word. As a Christian, you can see other people do it. You can see all the logical, rational need to want to do it. You can even justify it in your rationality. You might say, it feels so good. Oh, it's natural because God made me that way. Let me tell you now, that is no excuse. Faith comes and says, what is God saying? Are you doing it? Friends, you and I know what it means to justify our fleshly behavior through natural logic. Can I point out another important thing here? It is very important that when you're dealing with the flesh, it will always feel right. There's a word here that we must take very careful cognizance of. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify 
the desires of the flesh, when you gratify something, it feels good. I tell you, one of the worst things for me, oh, Lord, I'll just be open, is fasting. I can't stand it. I am starving. By the time I get home, I'm just like, give me something to eat, give me something to eat. I want to gratify this hunger inside of me. And when I eat, I'm back to lovely Matthew Johnson. Well, who knows what the day was like. Can you relate to what I'm saying? When you give into the flesh, it feels so good. And the, the best example I'll give to you is when you want to give someone a piece of your mind. Not so. It feels so good. When they've done something and you want to put them in their place, you want to dress them down. I tell you, as a father with my children, I, there are times when I'm the dad, you're the kid, and you're going to get it. Vengeance is mine, says Matthew Johnson. And I'm telling you now, you know what I'm talking about here. When you let it, you felt, yes. And then five minutes later, it depends how prideful you are. It's, that's the gap, is the arrogance of our flesh. Is how quickly God can get at you by the Spirit. Oh, when you see in humility your mess, when you finally come to yourself, and some of us never do, you realize you have to pick up the pieces. Can I share something deep that I learned this week from a guy called Artie Kendall? been a big help to me in this area. He said this, why does it say, why does it say, don't let the sun go down on your anger? Don't you, th- don't you find sometimes if you just sleep on it, you feel better in the morning? Don't you find that? I do. If you just kind of give some space between the sort of natural adrenaline to, to start to wind down and, and the, the, the palpitation started, is why does Paul say don't do that? Because he wants you to get the victory of faith. That in the moment, you don't leave the gap for nature to take its course. You want to settle it now. You want to go to bed and say, I want to be at peace with you. And if you can't find the person you determine when you put your head on that pillow, you're going to make peace with them as soon as the second you see them. Is you are walking in this spirit. And let me tell you, the, the last thing you need to know, it, not that it, it is so important. They are diametrically opposed. There is nothing in your flesh that the spirit likes. In your fallen nature. Not one. There is nothing of the spirit that the flesh likes. Paul says these two are totally opposed in Galatians 5.17. There is nothing, no help whatsoever in your fallen nature to help you live for God. So, let's talk about the spirit. Wow. I'm so grateful. You know what the great encouragement for me in this text was? Was that just as though my, just although my, my flesh has desire so has the Holy Spirit. And I'm not left, and I often think we think like this, and I'm like this. You're in this vacuum. All you kind of do is struggling against this flesh. But don't you think it's wonderful when you want to give in to this flesh? God starts putting stuff in your path to pull you back. I haven't thought of a better example because I haven't had time. So please, I don't want to pick on the sex stuff, but it it is such a powerful urge in us. It works like this. I'll give you an example of how it could possibly work. You're home alone. There's the computer screen. Unlimited Wi-Fi. You really, really have a sexual urge to gratify. It feels natural. You feel I'm not doing any harm. I'm not really, I don't really know these people on the screen. It doesn't really matter. Let me, just, let me just gratify the flesh, and I'll be better at the end of it. I'll feel better at the end of it. I'll be able to be more focused on you, God. I'll be able to release all this tension inside of me. It will be the right thing for me to do. That's the natural logic flowing right over there. But you will find in the Christian the most wonderful thing is suddenly a thought will pop up into your mind. So what will your mother think? It's, watch. It's scriptural. I'll, I'll show you the Psalms. Or you'll say, what will my wife think? What will my future wife think? What does God think right now? And there will be a hook. And there will be something that will be pulling you this way. And you'll go, oh, I want to, but I don't want to. I'm telling you now, that is the grace of God at work in your life. He's not letting you be unlift to your own devices. And he will do it in surprising ways. Don't forget that scripture says he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can handle, but he will provide a way out. Let me tell you, God is so gracious, and by the power of the Spirit, he is pulling you and can be so gracious in rescuing you from situations. You're not alone. But I say all that is, I say all this because what's important for you to grasp is this. To walk by the Holy Spirit is to become like him. The word used is to identify with this incredible Holy Spirit. 
And the first thing you will notice about the Holy Spirit is he is self-effacing. What that means is he puts self aside. And I've often wondered about this because I'm going, Holy Spirit, Lord, I'm doing this respectfully. Why can't you get the glory like Jesus and the Father? Why can't we make so much of you? Why is there no prayer to you in Scripture? It really bugs me because you're equally divine. You're equally glorious. How come I can't make much of you even in my preaching and my prayer life? Because of this, because we are to become like him and he puts self aside. It's the most wonderful thing. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says, he's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about me. And to become like the Spirit is to point to Christ and put self aside, the very thing that flesh raises up. The Spirit kills. It is beautiful. And the next thing that you will find, oh, you'll find this wonderful thing. Oh, before I do that, the self-effacing aspect, it is the pathway to love. You cannot love other people when you are preoccupied with yourself. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that leave any gap for yourself? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What, what Jesus is saying is you be as committed to another person as you are by the nature of your fallenness. Self-effacing. The, th- the second thing you'll find about the Holy Spirit is, is that it, He is sensitive. I'm sorry, Retif, as an Afrikaner male, and I see this in Retif's life so I can tease him a bit, is I see a sensitivity in Retif because of the Spirit. A wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that He's called a dove. That was how he came down on Jesus. And can I tell you, we went to the zoo the other day. It was wonderful. And we're taking Sarah and Elijah, and we walked past the doves. And what struck me was how different their sound was to pigeons. And I watched them. They had this beautiful, if you look at the face of a dove, it is so gentle, genteel. They have this wonderful, what do you call it? I don't know what it is. What do you call that? Cooing? It's a cooing, right? Oh, my dad will be proud of me. And in a sense, do you know that with a dove, you can never tame a dove. It's wild for life. That's how the Holy Spirit is. You can never tame him. And you know what's precious about a dove? Is they're only mate with one partner their whole life. You know what's my, when I think about that is the Holy Spirit will be loyal to you until you go to see Jesus. He will never mate with another. You know, pigeons, they're so awful. You watch them, they don't care who it is, but when they want to flaunt their stuff, they mate with anything around them. Not so, it's embarrassing. Once there was a Baptist church in Cape Town, and they were trying to do worship, and there were pigeons up in, on the windowsill that they could see outside. No one could worship because of their activities. They had to buy curtains so that they could cover it up. Don't you find pigeons, they always strut their stuff. They were slapping, you know, like. The dove, let me tell you, you know what produced Jesus' life was that he learned to have to accommodate the Spirit. The Spirit was never going to accommodate him. And you will find the more you seek to live life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, increasingly, it's not just what you say that affects you. You realize how you say it matters to him. You start to realize how you're spending your time matters to him. There are aspects to his life. You realize, Lord, did that trouble you? (laughs) Never saw that before. Praise God I did now. And the mark of holiness is adjusting to the Spirit's sensitivity. And my friend, it will produce the most wonderful thing in you. People will like being around you because you won't be like a bull in a china shop. People will feel love because by the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, oh, something's not right in Retif today. Why don't you go check on him? Oh, person's coming on your mind over and over again. Go love him. Go make right. These are the things of the Spirit. It's, it's wonderful. And I need to carry on to my final point so we can end now today. Is how do we know we are being led by the Spirit? That's what, if you want to ask me, this is all great. I understand the struggles and I understand the Spirit and this sort of thing. How do I know when I'm walking through my daily life that I am not grieving the Spirit, that I'm flowing with Him in the way He wants me to do under His leadership? Well, the first is this. The Spirit speaks to us in many, many different ways. For me, it has been an audible 
not a loud outside, a, a voice. It has been scripture. It has been those thoughts. What will your mother think? What will Marina think? What will happen to your ministry? There are impulses, feelings. I tell you, it is multifaceted, but that's not the point. The point is this. The primary way of knowing that you've grieved the Spirit is that you've lost an inner peace. The primary way you you've know you've grieved the Spirit is you've lost your joy. There's something that's missing. And the primary way you grieve the Spirit is that the, you've lost your easiness with God. It's what the Scripture calls righteousness. And I, I'll prove it to you because this is important. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul goes on to say, The works of the flesh are evident. This is what you'll see all these blatant things of the flesh. But what he says is, I warn you, verse 21, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about salvation? No. Is he talking about our security eternally? No. Remember, we are secure eternally outside of ourselves. If you want to place your righteousness on the line and you stand before Jesus, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, because I did so well. Good luck. It's because Christ has done so well for you. But what is he saying? In Romans 14, verse 17, don't, uh, if there's one verse that you can memorize and evaluate your life in the Spirit, buys this. It says, for the kingdom of God, what Paul is saying, what we will not inherit, what we will not experience is this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not these fleshly appetites. Ah, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You will lose that experience if you grieve the Spirit. If you give in to the desires of the flesh, what you will lose is this experience of the kingdom of God, and that is present tense. It is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. You will have no ease with God. Let me tell you today, if you are indulging in the flesh, you will have no peace with God. What you will find is when you start to entertain, I was thinking of Philippians 4. It's been very real for me this week. Don't think that your pastor or your elders are so perfect. It's when you are stressed and anxious, you lose your joy. Not so. You're no longer rejoicing the Lord. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, whoa, check in. When you lose your ease before the Father, there's something wrong. And that is what we, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule or referee your hearts. And as businessmen, as parents, as teachers, as colleagues, whatever the context is, as sons and daughters, you are under the leadership of the Spirit. And something has gone wrong if you have lost those three things and you must attend to it. You must attend to it. What do I mean by that? Is you stop walking until you can sense, okay, where did I miss it? Where did I go wrong? Is you don't just carry on blithely and suppress that sense of uneasiness before the Lord. You address it. You with me? Am I making sense? You can be having a conversation about a right thing, but saying it in the wrong way. And you can sense there's a grieving here. But the wonderful thing about this is the point number two. The danger of saying that is we can become so introspective and obsessed because we are constantly going, when am I going to grieve the Spirit next? That is the reality. That was my reality. You can, get, you can have nervous breakdowns as a Christian. Do you know that? Because you can be so afraid of making mistakes and so afraid of somehow grieving the Spirit, you lose all joy, you lose all liberty, you lose all sense of being able to enjoy the salvation God has given you. You're certainly not where the Spirit is, there's freedom. No, no, where the Spirit is, there's bondage for you. Why is that? It's because especially for those of us who have very sensitive consciences and you're looking at one, you tend to want to preempt the work of the Spirit. You want to turn over every stone in your heart and make sure you've got it right. It's hell. And there's some of us who know what it's like to live under this pressure of condemnation because you're constantly going, when am I going to grieve the Spirit next? Oh, no, the most wonderful thing is this, is that Paul says, "You, it's not rocket science. The works of the flesh are evident. If you have the humility and the teachability, you'll see it. Oh, man, sorcery, envy, jealousy, division, strife. It's not rocket science. You don't have to try and suss out what you may have done to grieve the Spirit. No, no, no. It's evident. Don't try be more spiritual than the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I mean? Walk in freedom and the confidence of He is going to help you when you need the help. The next thing I say is this. Is this Holy Spirit, how do you recover when you felt you've grieved Him? 
there is a risk of living like a legalistic Christian by walking by the Spirit. Because what you are trying to do is you're constantly concerned about your performance. I hope this makes sense. I'm trying my best here. How well am I doing? Because that affects how much I experience the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And that's risky because you start to go, well, I have to do really well in order to experience a lot of Him. And that's the risk here. You can start to live like a legalistic Christian by saying, if I don't bring my A game today, I won't have the Spirit. Now, if you're not too worried about walking by the Spirit, that doesn't really matter to you. But let me tell you, it matters to someone like me. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm done for. I'm useless to you. What I mean by having the Holy Spirit, I mean I have lost His leadership, His sense and guidance on my life. And I became miserable because I felt this was like a stick that the Holy Spirit is going to beat me because I've gotten something wrong. And so how did I respond? Oh, well, I must do better. I sense that, yeah. Can I tell you, our Baptist heritage is not helpful. Evangelical Christians can be quite legalistic, although they proclaim a gospel. I must do better. I must pray more. I must read my Bible more. I must get this right. That's what God had to throw me into the dust over. You know what I experienced in, 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 in varsity? I, was, I experienced the most intense spiritual depression. Because God says, you will not come to me by Christ. You will come to me by your performance. You think I'm dealing with you because you're getting it right, my friend. That's not your path of recovery. Your path of recovery is walking in this glorious sufficiency of Christ. If you slip up and grieve the Spirit, you don't say, I'm going to do it better so that I can feel better. No, no. You say, I'm coming to Christ who's done it for me. And you come under the blood and you say, God, I'm coming under the blood of Jesus. Thank you that I am forgiven. And you feel forgiven. You quote 1 John 1 verse 9. I'm telling you, we agonize over this. We feel so depressed. We feel like such failures. We never seem to cast off this condemnation because we never feel we're getting it quite right. Oh, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If any man or woman confesses his sin, God is just and able to forgive you and cleanse you, all of, or cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? When you sin, you get up. If you have made somebody else's life difficult and sinned against them, you make right, but you do not walk under the stick of the law. You walk under the freedom of the Spirit, and the Spirit loves it when you go to Jesus. That's the one He's glorifying. If you want to please and get the Spirit back in your life with a sense of peace, you go to the one who says, there's your champion. There's the one that I'm pointing you to. There's the one you're becoming like. You go and enjoy Jesus. Amen? Oh, friends. Last, I'd say this. I'm running out of time. Is walking by the Spirit will feel unnatural, almost impossible. I'm aware I'm sending you out here into contexts that are very difficult. And some of you will say, my mother from a young child said I had a temper. I'm like that by nature. That's what you'll say. I naturally am just like that. Really doing it as Marina and I, we're looking at our, our two kids and saying, oh, she's going to struggle with that. And our excuse of not dealing with these certain aspects of our character is because, well, we like that by nature. And to ask for holiness in those areas feels impossible. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Each of us is different. Mine is impatience with my children. And what I've realized is this, is I have gone to God and say, you give me two hours sleep because Elijah keeps waking up. I'm telling you that all of you know this, you've been parents. When you're fatigued and you're tired and you're impatient, your natural response to say is, I can be no other. Not say, I can be no other way. Whatever your excuses, I got hurt by my ex-husband or something happened in my life that shaped this aspect of my character and I'm just like that by nature. And to ask that God could possibly want change in this area, it is impossible. Can I tell you a story in closing? There was a man with a withered hand. It was his right hand, and Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he commands this man to stretch out his hand. This man, by nature, knows it is impossible to do it. His hand, it is 
deformed. It is paralyzed. That's the word I'm looking for. He cannot stretch it out. At nature, he knows he can't do it. That man, he feels nothing, nothing. When, God, when Jesus is stretched out your hand, he feels nothing. Oh, but by faith, he is obedient to the word of God. And in the second of his obedience, he can do it. That's what it's like for you. I have been surprised this week by how much God comes through when you decide to respond in holiness. When you are asked to do it, you feel nothing. You feel there's just no ways I am not going to kill this child right now. There is no ways that I can feel any sort of love to this child. But when I do it, because I know by faith, it's not by nature, I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that though I feel nothing, God's word is saying, do it, that as I do it, God is going to empower me by the Spirit. Oh, when I do it, I've been surprised. I can do it. Do you believe that? Because until you believe that the Spirit is going to meet your willingness in your weakness. Let me tell you, these Galatians, they had false teaching. They were biting and devouring each other. They had come under all sorts of problems. But Paul could say to them, walk by the Spirit. You Galatians, you're so ungodly at the moment. Even in your weakness, you can find the power of the Spirit to change. Never think that these New Testament churches were so wonderful. Oh, they had problems like you and me. Oh, but Paul could say so confidently, you're a Christian. You have the Spirit's power. You have His leadership in your life by nature of your conversion, not by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can change, amen? Do you believe it? Friends, when you go out there today, put the Spirit to the test. When you're in this warfare, put Him to the test. Go for righteousness. You'll win. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I'm so excited. There's some of us here that are going to have stories next week. They're going to go back into these contexts, and they're going to figure, they're going to discover, Lord, how much you're with them. Some of us are going back to difficult marriages difficult parent-child relations, difficult work circumstances, difficult pressures on every side. Oh, Lord, you know them so well, you even sweated blood because of them. Oh, but Lord, you also know that there's something wonderful for us to discover is that the Spirit will not be silent when we need Him. He'll not be passive. That when the flesh rears its head, saying, I want it my way, I want to enjoy this a bit more than what I should I want to operate at my logic of the flesh. I pray, God, you would call us to remembrance of how much greater the Spirit is inside of us. It's calling us to walk in the ways of the Lord. I pray today, Lord, that we would see transformed marriages because of this. People forgiving, laying down the sword, transferred business relationships, trans transformed business relationships, transformed parent-child relationships, families healed because of the power of the Spirit changing the hardest hearts. Oh God, we pray. Might we see this? Might we be spurred on in it, we ask. In your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.